Genesis chapter 4, and then also the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Genesis chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 11. That song fits the message this morning, and that's what we'll be talking about this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 4. I want, to talk, I want to preach to you this morning about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. You said, why are you going to Hebrews 11 for Cain and Abel? Didn't you know that Cain and Abel are in the front of your Bible? They are, but they're also at the end of your Bible in the book of Hebrews. And so we'll take a look here at these passages. So let's look in Genesis 4 first. And the Bible says here in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a shepherd, and Cain was a farmer. And verse 3, And, it, and in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel... He also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. He killed him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? That's very dangerous to take that attitude towards the Lord. Verse 10, And he said, What hast thou done? What would you do, Cain? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not, shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Now, hold your place in Genesis 4. We will come back to it. But look over in the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11 and look in verse 4. The Bible says, by faith, by faith. You see that? By faith. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. And that's a loaded statement in such a short little verse, but that's what we're going to look at this morning. Lord, we pray, God, that you'd help us this morning. Father, we do certainly thank you, God, for the opportunity to be in this place. God, that is dedicated to your worship. God, it's dedicated to preaching. It's dedicated to prayer. Uh, Lord, dedicated to singing songs about Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray, God, that you'd undertake for us this morning on our behalf, God, Lord, as we labor for you today. God, pray that you'd speak to hearts, God, if there might be somebody here that's, Lord, not sure of their salvation or knows that they're not saved. Or, Lord, as, Lord, there are many folks in here that I know have made a profession of faith. God, maybe, Lord, just make some things uh, clearer than they are to them right now. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd speak and deal as you see fit this morning. Help us, God, Lord, as we try to exalt and magnify, Lord, what you did for us at Calvary. And we'll thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
looking in Genesis chapter 4, I, I just want to point out something to you before we really get going this morning. You live in a country to where one of the things that, of which I, I love this country, let me say that first and foremost. I'm not uh, mad. I, I don't agree with everything that goes on in the country. And I know immediately when you begin talking about America, things get real tight in a church service because you're not supposed to mix politics and religion. But the Bible mixes politics and religion. And I I will say that I love America. I don't agree with everything as far as the directions of the current uh, way that America's going as far as how liberal it's going. But you do live in a country to where everything is geared towards equality. Everybody is equal and everything is the same. And, you know, you can't discriminate against this person or you can't discriminate against this man or this woman. Uh, but I will say this morning, I, I'm not trying to be unkind to you this morning, but I will say right here in Genesis chapter 4, the Lord discriminates very clearly. The Lord discriminates. And I, I want you to notice that the Lord doesn't discriminate based on uh, skin color. When you talk about discrimination, everybody thinks skin color, blacks and whites. And discrimination, the term just means to be able to make, to, to make out a difference between uh, things that are not the same. Uh, American ideology has changed that word. They have changed that term to mean something different than what it means in just a dictionary. But here in the text, the Lord discriminates. He, he looks at two things that are not the same, and he, he sets a difference between them. And that is what the Lord is good at, let me say. God is very good at looking at two things that are not the same and saying they're not the same. For example, Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Very first thing that he did was he made light. And then you know what the next thing he did was? He separated light from darkness. In order to separate those two things, God had to look at light and say, it's not darkness. And God had to look at darkness and say, it's not light. When you come to the major prophets, I, I believe it, it is Ezekiel. The Lord said, woe unto those that call good evil and evil good. Woe unto those that look at light and call it darkness and look at darkness and call it light. God does not appreciate that. And I, I bring that up as far as our country is concerned because we quickly get into a frame of mind as Americans to where we begin to look at all religions and say, well, they're all the same. And God says that they are not the same. And I, I get tickled when I talk to folks on the street trying to witness to them and tell them, man, Jesus Christ died for you. Well, I just believe all religions are the same. Well, uh, no offense, but you haven't studied religion very deeply. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to be able to look at Islam and tell that it's not Christianity or even Roman Catholicism or Mormonism. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Mormonism is not Jehovah's Witnesses. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Christianity is not Buddhism. Well, I understand that, but they're, they're basically, they're, they're, just, they're, they're almost, as far as the intent, people will say, as far as, you know, you've got your way to work to heaven, I've got mine. But God says right here in Genesis chapter 4 that they are not the same. They're not the same. What you're looking at in Genesis chapter 4 are, are the only two religions that exist. You say, I, I, I didn't really know that there was religions in Genesis chapter 4. There is a religion that requires a blood sacrifice. And then there is a religion that requires works. That's what you're looking at. Yeah. 
The Bible says right here in Genesis uh, chapter 4, verse 3, it, in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Cain did that. Cain worked. Cain labored. Cain tilled. Cain dug a hole and planted seed and put water on that, prayed that, Lord, maybe it would rain. He, uh, do all, all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, it was by the sweat of his brow. And he brought of that work and laid it before the Lord and offered it up to God. But here's a young man by the name of Abel who didn't bring the work of his hands. He brought the work of God's hands. I, I, don't, I don't care who you are, but you can't put your hands on a sheep and make it reproduce. You say, well, who does that? You say, the sheep? No, God. Absolutely, God does that. I'm not trying to have a science class this morning, but I will point out to you that in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, the Bible talks about people, us, who are not born of the will of the flesh. The reason that you're here this morning, the reason that you had, have a first birth, is not because your mama and daddy decided we want kids. You say, well, no, Brother Nathan, that's exactly how I got here. No, that's not how you got here. Your parents may have decided that they wanted children, but at the end of the day, the only way that you got here is because God permitted you to be here. God has his hand in who gets born, and obviously those who don't. I, I've never met any of those people, so I don't know who they are. Those people that haven't been born, I've never met them. What's your name? My name's Johnny. I've never been born. Never met those people. I've only met the ones that are here. But the Bible says that the Lord has control over those things. And so if the Lord has control over that in regards to people, I know that he has control over it in regards to sheep Amen. and dogs and cows and, God forbid, cats. <laughs> you cat lovers, you, have, you can have all of my share of cats and my whole family's share of cats. You help yourself. You're welcome to love all the cats that you want. They stay out of my house. They stay outside and catch all the mice and the snakes. Only thing I like less than a cat's a snake. Amen. Maybe cockroaches are up there pretty close. But anyways, the Lord has control over that. When Abel brings his offering, when Abel brings his offering, he's bringing something to God that God's hand was in. Yes, sir. And listen, when God looks at Cain and, and has no respect, has no respect for his offering, Look what it says, verse 4, Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. You know what God did? God disrespected Cain's offering. God said, God said, your offering is not good enough. Boy, that runs across the grain of human nature, not just yours, every man every woman. What God is trying to get across to Cain in this passage, and apparently it's something that Abel understood, and that's why he brought the right offering, but what God's trying to get across to Cain is that you don't determine the terms by which I accept your offering. You don't get to decide how it is that I receive the sacrifice that you bring. I make those decisions. I make those rules. So when we talk about religion, which is what we're talking about this morning, because you're in church, we're all religious folks, whether you're saved or lost. You say, oh, no, I'm not religious. I'm just here this morning. You're religious about something. But as far as, 
uh, what, God, what is acceptable to God as far as religion is concerned, that's not determined by what a preacher says or what a priest says or what some organized denomination says. It's determined by what God said. And you say, well, I, I'm not really in agreement with what this organized denomination says. I'm not in agreement with what this particular preacher says. And the Lord looks at that and says, I could care less. That's what God says. If a preacher gets up and says, this is what's acceptable to God, but God says, that is not what's acceptable to, acceptable to me, who are you going to go with? The preacher or God? That's the only logical conclusion. You say, but Brother Nathan, all preachers preach the truth. Really? <laughs> we won't run that rabbit trail, but all preachers do not preach the truth. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians that there are those that look like ministers of righteousness, but they're the ministers of Satan. I'm not, that's not a word-for-word word quote, but the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, one of the things that he praised the church of Ephesus about is that there were false apostles among them, and the church at Ephesus tried them and found them to be untrue apostles and then put them out. Hey, you're not right. How do we make that determination? Do they line up with what God said in his word? That's it. So the final authority for all matters of faith and practice the final authority for all, faith, for, all, for all matters of faith and practice is what did God say? You want to find out what's acceptable to God, you ask God. Amen. A preacher's responsibility is to preach what God said. And so when we begin to preach about matters of eternal life and matters of salvation and how you can know that your sins are forgiven and how can, you can know that heaven's your home, we're not just pulling some opinion out of the hat or something that I feel or something that's going to make you feel good. We're talking about what thus saith the Lord. And if we're not talking about that, then we have nothing to say. We should all close the church down and let's just go fishing. Because at the end of the day, religion, right religion, is determined simply by what the Lord says. And so if you don't want to determine it that way, then you get in the same situation where Cain got to where God looked at his offering and said, it is not good enough. That's a very unfortunate position to get to. Well, the Bible says over here in the book of Hebrews, I, I'm not closing my place in either of these passages because we'll probably be back and forth this morning. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, the Bible said, By faith, uh, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Abel's sacrifice was more excellent than Cain's. All religions are equal, Brother Nathan. They are not equal. They are not the same. That is God's estimation of the different religions. And let me just stop right here. I kind of got a little ahead of myself, but let me just elaborate on this point very quickly this morning. You are religious this morning. I don't care who you are sitting in here. You are religious about something. Amen. You know, you see all these Bible-thumping fanatics, which I, I'm proud to be identified as one of those if I get identified with one of those. It's not going to hurt my feelings calling me a Bible-thumping fanatic. But you see all these crazy people standing out on the side of the street with signs that say, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should, not, should, should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You find people out on the side of the street, For the ways of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Those, those are fanatical people. Oh, man, those, those are strange people. What about all of the folks that go to uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and stand up there in zero-degree weather, Fahrenheit, and have their shirts off, and one side of their chest 
is painted green and the other side is painted yellow and they have a big block of cheese on their head and they're saying, yeah, go team. They're not fanatics. Oh, what about the folks? And listen, I, I am against abortion. I don't believe it's right to be abortion or, or to have an abortion. Uh, that it's God's body, not your body. And so therefore it's God's choice. Amen. But anyways, you find these folks standing out on the side of the street that say, you know, things against abortion and, you know, you're not supposed to have an abortion. And they say things along the lines of what I just said. Those folks aren't fanatics. Those, those folks aren't religious. You know, you don't have to be saved to be against abortion. You don't have to be, you don't have to be saved. You should be saved, but you don't have to be saved to, to have moral principles. You know, some of you folks, some of you folks sitting in here this morning, when it comes to your job, you are so faithful. Really, some of you folks are die hard when it comes to working your job. You wouldn't dream of missing uh, a day at work unless, I mean, you were in the hospital. I, I've heard stories. I, Brother Mark McGay, he'll be here next week, and he, his daddy, I think Brother Mark said he missed maybe one or two days during his entire career. I had a warden that I worked out at the prison up, out here, and Warden Johns was a very interesting man. He what, never made a profession of faith as far as I know, and he certainly didn't live like it, but he's a very interesting man as far as, a very interesting man as far as men are concerned, and Warden Johns, I think, told me that he had three days that he had to call out of work all three of them was because he was very sick. Die hard. Die hard. I'm going to be at my job. You're a fanatic. That's good. I'm certainly not preaching about preaching against going to work. I think some folks in this generation would love for me to do that. <laughs> but it, it, God said you're supposed to go to work. The Bible says if any man doesn't work, neither should he eat. But all I'm saying this morning is that you're religious about something. You come and sit down in a church this morning and listen to a preacher, a fanatical preacher, preach about the blood atonement of the lovely Son of God, yeah. Jesus Christ, who yeah. died to take away your sins and say, man, that's just a little bit extreme. But you're extreme about something. Oh, yeah. See, every man is religious. You know, some of these crazy people have, you know, bumper stickers on their car that say, you know, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Man, that's just, that's a little crazy. And then yet you go around and you find people with bumper stickers that say, save the spotted owl and save the red-headed woodpecker and woody. Yeah. All this stuff that you, people say, you know, you're supposed to do this. You're religious about something. Anything but Jesus. Cain and Abel, one man brought a right offering. The other man brought a wrong offering. Both of them brought an offering. They're both religious. I don't believe in religion, Brother Chris. Of course, if I said that, I wouldn't be calling you brother. I don't believe in religion, Chris Brooks. I'm an atheist. It's religion. You say, how dare you say something along those lines? How much evidence do you have? You have no more evidence than what I have as far as the Scripture is concerned for what I believe. Less. You have less. Boy, things got tight right there, I suppose. But it's true. It's true. You don't have, you don't have as much evidence as I have. Listen, you know, I have, I have the record the Bible says that 500 men saw Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead. 
How many people can you attest to the fact that saw the process of evolution take place? How many, how many people can attest to the fact that they have ever seen your brain? Well, then I guess you don't have one. It's by faith. Well, science, science proves you're taking somebody's word for it. And I do too. I take it for granted that you have a brain. You, I take it for granted that you have a brain. I have a brain. It doesn't always work. But it's there. At least I think until I talk to my wife. You believe. You're religious about something this morning. You're religious about something. Every man's religious. And, but what you're religious about, it's going to determine what kind of sacrifice you bring. The Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. You know, you're not given any detail about Cain and Abel as far as what they looked like or what their character was like other than the fact of what they did. This, is, this man was a shepherd. This man was a tender of the flock. This man was a farmer. This is a man that tilled the ground. That's all the information that you're given about these people. You say, well, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm a good man. I'm a good lady. I'm a good person. None of that makes any difference. None of it makes any difference. What makes the difference is what kind of sacrifice do you bring before God Almighty? That's the, that's the thing that the Lord's interested in. God is not interested. Listen, God lays out what Cain and Abel did for a living, but God's not interested in what you do for a living. That's not going to justify you. What justified Cain and Abel in the sight of God is not the fact that one was a rocket scientist or one was a trash man. What justified uh, Cain and Abel or didn't justify him was not the fact that one was a shepherd and one was a tiller of the ground. What justified them or didn't justify them was what kind of offering did they bring? One brought an offering that had blood and the other brought something that didn't have blood. You've ever heard the saying, have you ever heard the saying that you can't get blood from a turnip? There it is. Here brings Cain, and he's got beets and turnips. God, have mercy on you if you like beets. But he brought all this stuff, and you know what never flowed out of any of those things? Blood. Amen. What never flowed out of any of those things was anything that was acceptable to God. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And the Bible said, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. God testified of his gifts. Abel brought this sacrifice and God testified of his gifts. Absolutely. Cain, uh, Abel brought this sacrifice and the Lord looked at it and said, righteous. He brought this little lamb, laid it on the altar, burned it up as a sacrifice to God and God said, righteous. Cain said, I don't, I don't appreciate it. God said, righteous. Cain said, well, that's just his religion. God said, righteous. Amen. Well, I think we can do it maybe a little bit different way. I don't have a problem with, with, you know, the Bible, and I don't have a problem with Jesus, and I certainly don't have a problem with Holy Virgin Mary, Mother of God, but I just think we can do it a little bit different than what, what, what the Bible says. God said, righteous. Right. 
Listen, the problem that you have this morning, if you're sitting in here and you lost this morning, the problem that you have is not that everybody in the church is looking down on you, which if you think that that's what folks are doing in a church, I think you're just wrong. I believe with all my heart, everybody's not looking down on you. The problem that you have is that God's not looking at you and saying, righteous. That's where you've got to get to. The place where you have to get to as a man, as a woman, as a boy, as a girl, is you've got to get to the place where God looks at what you've brought as a sacrifice and God says, righteous. God has to say it. You can come down and bring an offering. You can uh, bring your good works and a preacher can look at you and say righteous and it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. You can bring good works down to a church. You can, you can help little ladies across the street. You can give to the nearest charity that you have. But none of that stuff is going to have God look at you and say, righteous. And if you lack God's estimation of righteous, I have bad news for you. You are not righteous. God has to look at you and say, you're righteous. God looked at Abel and said, that's a righteous man. That's a righteous man. He never said that about Cain. God had respect to this offering over here. God had no respect over here, but he never said anything to Cain about it. There was just this little approval that he couldn't quite get out of God. And boy, it really sat wrong with him. It sat so wrong with him that he went over here to the man that God said he was righteous and he took his life. If I can eliminate the competition, then maybe God will put his approval on me. Listen, do you realize that if you were the last person on this earth and you still didn't do what God said was necessary to be saved, you're still not going to get God's approval. I'm the only one there is. God's got to save me. I mean, who else is he going to save? God's not going to save you unless you trust Christ. See, we're not dealing. Listen, I told you I love America. But when you're dealing with God, you're not dealing with an American. You're not dealing with a man. You're dealing with somebody that has his mind made up about how things are supposed to be. And if you are unwilling to humble yourself and conform yourself to those standards, then God just looks at you and says, then you're out of it. I'm sorry. That's the way God is. You say, where do you get something along those lines? Then why would Jesus Christ say, straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. Broad's the way that leads to destruction. You say, God's, that, if that's the way God is, I want nothing to do with him because he's unfair. Okay, well, what if he gives you the sacrifice to bring? What if God, listen, God, you, you say, you would argue in your mind as a lost man. I, I don't know if there's anybody lost in here this morning, but if you are, I'm preaching to you. I'm trying to help you to see the way that God's got it laid out. You say, well, if God is that narrow-minded, I want nothing to do with God. Well, listen, what if, what if that same God who you assume to be so narrow-minded and so cruel and so mean, what if he made provision for that sacrifice in your place? You have nothing to bring, so God says, here's the sacrifice that I'm looking for. It don't look like to me that God's the mean one. It doesn't look like to me that God's the narrow-minded one. What it looks like to me is that you're the narrow-minded one. And what, what it boils down to is just simply pride. Listen, beer drinking is not right, but it ain't never sent a man to hell. It ain't right. That's a different sermon for a different time. Fornication, bad. Adultery, God looks at it and says, bad. That's not what sends men to hell. You know what sends men to hell? 
not trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Why don't people trust Christ as their Savior? One reason, proud. Just proud. Now, I, th I think I can get there myself. Well, you're quickly approaching the place where Cain was. I think I can do this on my own. I think I can bring my own sacrifice, and it'll get me in, and God said it won't. It just won't. You can hate the people that are doing right. You can despise the sacrifice that God's made available for you. You can say that that's just their religion. But God still looks at the right sacrifice and says, righteous. Righteous. That's what it is. That's what it is. No record of anybody's intelligence here in Genesis chapter 4. There's no record of anybody's physical or mental features and capacities. God focused on one thing. Did they bring the right sacrifice? One did, one, one didn't. One had blood and the other didn't. Cain didn't have the witness that his sacrifice was righteous. You know what, you know what Cain's sacrifice lacked? It lacked righteousness. And listen to me this morning. Please listen to me. That is the differentiating mark between every religion in this world, between the right religion and the wrong religion. The right religion has righteousness about it. Yes, sir. The right religion has, has righteousness about it. The wrong religion has no righteousness. The wrong religion has no ability to get God to look at a man and say, he's righteous. That's what you miss. Take your Bible and look over in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. You covered this a little bit this morning talking about the book of Judges. But here's a man in Judges chapter 17, and his name's Micah. And what you find in Judges 17 is that Micah is a very religious man. We're going to find out how religious he is. Look right here in verse 1. The Bible says, There was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, about which thou cursest, nothing like a cussing mama. That's what Micah's got. Well, he said, those 1,100 shekels of uh, silver that were taken from thee about which thou cursest and spake of also in mine ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. Michael's, Micah is professing, I'm the thief. <laughs> yes, sir. Look in verse 3. Well, end of verse 2. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord my son. When he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. She said, You gave it back to me. I'm going to give it back to you, and I'm going to make a graven image and a molten image for you. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver. He restored it to his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. So now his mama's a, a liar. Boy, this is not a good family. This is the textbook situation of a dysfunctional family. You say, Brother Nathan, they're just lying to each other. That's not a dysfunctional family. God says it's not right. God says, God says it's dysfunctional. It's not a good situation. Verse 5, And the man Micah had an house of gods and made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. You know what you're looking at with Micah? You're looking at Cain. You're looking at a man who is very religious. This man is so religious that he has a house of gods. 
He has a house of God's. You know what I have at my house? My house. That's where I live. I have a shed out behind off to the side of my house that's got a carport, and then I've got another little shed because I've got all this junk because I'm an American. God's blessed us with prosperity, and I've got all this junk laying everywhere. You know what I don't have? I don't have a house of God's. Now, I know that that's, that's right because the Bible says that I'm not supposed to be an idolater, but all I'm trying to show you is that Micah's so dedicated to his religion that he pulled money out of his wallet and he said, let me make a house. The same way that I have a house, I'm going to make a house for my gods. He's devoted. He is very sincere. And he's very devoted and sincerely wrong. He's got the wrong religion. He's got the wrong religion. You say, how do you know he's got the wrong, wrong religion? Well, uh, one thing is that he's a thief. You know what he's devoid of? You know what his religion's devoid of? Righteousness. You know, when you get saved, listen, when you get saved, there's something that God puts down in your heart called the Holy Spirit. That somebody puts him down in your heart, and he's supposed to help you with that line. My soul, I guess we preaching to a bunch of liars this morning. Quit lying. Don't do that. That's bad. It's still in the Bible. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. The Lord's supposed to help you with that. You say, what is that? That's righteousness that's been placed on the inside. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what happens in salvation. That's what happens in salvation. Look over in John chapter 4. Let me show you another illustration of somebody that's religious, but there's no righteousness. John chapter 4. You know the story of John chapter 4. The Lord Jesus Christ comes through Samaria and he sits down and he talks with this Samaritan woman. You remember that lady? Well, the Lord tells her, I'm not going to read the whole text, but I will say that the Lord uh, sits down and he says, give me some water. And she says, she says, you ain't got nothing to draw with. Why should I give you some water? And he said, well, if you knew who was asking you for water, you'd be asking him for that living water. And he said, if you'd ask him for that living water, he'd give you something to where you wouldn't ever have to come back to this well. She said, ooh, give me some of that. That's what she said. Verse 14, picking up in the middle of the Lord's discourse, is explanation, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now listen, the Lord's talking to her about salvation. He's talking to her about living water. And he says, before we can go any further, let's talk about your, your marital situation. Go get your husband. She hangs her head. You go on and read it if you want to. Take it home and read it. But she goes on and she says, I ain't got no husband. He says, you're right about that. You ain't got no husband because you've had five. And the one that you got right now ain't your husband. That's a bad situation. And she steps back and she says, I perceive that thou art a prophet. You think? Somebody can tell you what's going on in your life. That fellow's more than a prophet. But see, before the Lord is going to be able to talk to you about your salvation, about going to heaven, the thing that he's got to bring up is the fact that you're not as good as you think you are. It's amazing how the conviction of the Holy Ghost, a preacher can stand up you know, maybe get a list and he could go down and he could preach against everything on his list and it might hit one or two people here and there. But every once in a while he'll come through and he'll hit something, not even thinking about it. And boy, people sitting in the service, I've done this myself, listen to a preacher. And boy, a preacher will say something, boy, something in your heart will go, mm. 
You say, what is that? That's your conscience. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit beginning to work you over because you're a sinner. See, the Lord's got your number. God can reach in there and say, this is what you're wrong about. And the preacher don't have to know even what's going on in your life. God knows. God knows. And before you can ever come to Christ, the thing that the Lord's going to deal with you about is that sin. The fact that you are not as good as you think you are. You are not righteous. That's the place that you've got to come to. That's why the Lord brings us out. Yeah, but I'm religious. Yeah, but I bring a sacrifice. Yeah, but I go down to the church and I put in my money. Righteousness, that's the issue. That's what the Lord's bringing up. Righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. God wants to know, what's your sacrifice that's going to bear witness to where I'm going to be able to bear witness that you're righteous? Well, let me show you where it is. That's the introduction. Let me give you the message. Romans chapter 10. Let me show you where this, where this sacrifice is that's going to declare you righteous. Romans chapter 10. And we'll, we'll use Paul speaking about the children of Israel. Romans chapter 10, look in verse 1. Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. That describes religious people. They're religious. Jews right now are some of the most religious people that you've ever met. He said, they're, they're zealous. They're, they have a zeal of God, but it's not according to knowledge. It's not the right kind of zeal because they're missing something. Here's why they're messed up, verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Here you've got two men, Cain and Abel. One brings a lamb. One brings the fruit of the ground, the works of his own hands. You know what that lamb's a picture of? It's a picture of the righteousness that God provided. What Cain's bringing is a picture of him trying to go about and establish his own righteousness. And God, frankly, turned up his nose at it. God said, it's not good enough. God said, you need my righteousness. God said, I've already made provision for righteousness. All you need to do is submit yourself to it. What is that righteousness, Brother Nathan? Look in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Where's the righteousness of God? Jesus Christ. Your righteousness is not going to be found in you doing works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's not by works of righteousness. Titus chapter 3 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's taking a bloodbath. Jesus Christ died for my sins. I have to be plunged beneath that crimson flow. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I'd like to see you try and get some blood out of that old turnip. Go get that turnip and squeeze all the juice you can out of it and try to wash your sins away. You will just, you'll be just as spotted as you've ever been. Oh, I'm going to get in church and I'm going to clean up my life and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And you're still going to be unclean. It's got, you've got to take a visit to the old rugged cross. You've got to take a visit to where the righteousness of God is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. That's, that's where God's righteousness is. 
For God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so he goes on down here in verse 9 and he says, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You say, well, man, the sacrifice has been made. I know Jesus Christ died for me. I know that Jesus paid for my sins. So that means, that must mean everybody's saved. No, sir. You know why everybody's not been saved? Listen, if you've got a debt that needs to be paid, if you've got a debt that needs to be paid, and I take, that, take money and lay it down on the table and say, there you go, there's your money, go pay your debt. If you never reach out and take that money, if you never take me at my word and reach out and grab that money off the table and make application, you're still going to have a debt that needs to be paid. Amen. Jesus Christ came to this earth. Bible says, for God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't force you to accept Jesus Christ, but the payment's been made. The atonement has been put on the table. What's left? Accept the payment. You say, how? Call on him. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I just believe everybody's going to heaven. Not if you haven't trusted him. Not if you haven't accepted the payment. Payment's been made. Will you accept it this morning? Verse 13, you go on down there this, this morning, and it says, for whosoever, anybody, anybody, Cain and Abel, no record of their skin color, no record of how smart or how dumb they were, no, no record of anything along those lines. It's just, what did you bring? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But they think, you don't know what I've done in my past. We don't have to ask because it doesn't matter. You get that stuff under the blood and that stuff never be brought up again. Yes, sir. We got folks sitting in here this morning who have given their testimonies where they came from this morning. Some drunkards, some dopeheads, some folks carousers. I mean, bad stuff this morning. Some of them church kids. Some of them little spoiled brat church kids that needed their sins washed away. And you know what? Just as easily as the blood of Jesus Christ washed away every sin of those little church kids, God can take the vilest sinner and make him clean. The blood of Jesus Christ is just as powerful for an old doper, for an old drunk, for an old fornicator and an adulterer. God's blood is just as powerful for them as it is for a little church kid. Just as powerful. You know what the issue is this morning? Righteousness. Righteousness. You can't get God to testify of you and say, that's a righteous man, unless you submit yourself to the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You say, how do I do that? Faith in God and repentance toward, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Would you save my soul? That's it. It's that simple. It's that simple. Thank God. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. I'm going to give you a little time of invitation this morning. I don't have no piano player, but I'll give you a little time to respond. Listen, if you don't know that you're saved this morning, why don't you come up here and just grab me and say, hey, I, I want you to show me from the Bible how I can know that my sins are washed away. Be glad to do that. You don't have to grab me. You can grab somebody else in this church. Somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know that your sins are forgiven. And listen, this morning, if you, know, if you are saved, you know that you're saved. When's the last time you got out on your knees and sincerely and just said, God, thank you. Thank you for the salvation that's been provided 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you take a little time and do that this morning? You don't have to come to an altar. Just take a little time right there in your seat and say, God, Lord, thank you for what you did for me at Calvary.